I'm, I'm an engineer, so I monetize things. And I've, we've gone back and monetized our passive investors. And each new investor can bring me $12,000 of income. So if I'm in a room with 50 people and only 10 of them really follow through with the phone call and they get in my investor database and we create that pre-existing relationship, for me, that is still a huge win. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. We are back with our guest today, Emily Hortwright. And I hope you listened to yesterday's segment because we're continuing the conversation today and, and learning from her different techniques of how she is raising a lot of money and, and building her investor base very quickly. And I, I know you're going to learn a lot today. Again, if you implemented one of these things, you're going to be able to raise more money today or very quickly, I'll say, by doing some of these things. And she's got a few techniques at the end. I don't care who you are. You should be doing some of these things for your own personal finances as well. To ask you earlier, and I, and I get this question often as well, is is being licen a licensed realtor something you would recommend in the syndication space? I know if I was flipping homes, I could definitely see a ton of benefits. But just wondered your take now that you're you're in the commercial real estate space and raising money. If I had started with multifamily syndication, I would say having my real estate license would not be critical because we we get on the, the listing brokers lists, we get all the emails. It hasn't necessarily been beneficial to be licensed in the in the actual acquisition. Now in capital raising in the in the sense of I've become the investor in the office and I've created a some credibility around that and recognition, that has become really powerful. And I think if you were to use a, the real estate license as a way to access a group of potential investors, you could argue that it would be beneficial. The, getting that license is a big path to gaining many rooms of potential clients as well, right? It is. It is. And I mean, my, my, sunk, my costs are around 2000 a year for the license. Yeah. So when I think about that, it's pretty low cost for such a big audience. Now, that may not work if it's a completely virtual brokerage. KW is unique because we're still brick and mortar. We still have in-person classes every day kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. I get the question often. Usually when I say I have a real estate business, people assume I'm a realtor, right? That happens all the time. But no, that's helpful because I get that question often. Whitney, should I, should I become a licensed realtor? Is that going to help me? And and I think you answered that. Uh, so you, you talked about teaching these classes on wealth building. I think it makes a ton of sense calling it that. You, you mentioned the wealth building seminars, which you do online uh, as well. And, and, but I think you also do a meetup. Is that right? That's correct. So once every two months, we do a meetup. And it is currently on a Saturday from 1 to 3. And it used to be two, 12 to 2. And we would do it at a restaurant where everybody would... Uh, take care of their own checks, which is really nice. The restaurant allows to do individual checks for 40 people. Well, then they got a new manager and we had a switch. So that was kind of a, a bummer. But we, we switched the time from one to three so that we don't have to buy lunch for everybody. And we typically get between 30 and 50 people at our, at our meetups as well. And we do a mix of topics. Every meetup is different. They are all publicly marketed. We use meetup.com 
as the platform and you can select different tags. And so people can say, I'm interested in classes on cash flow. And so if they say that and I tag cash flow to my event, it'll show up as like, hey, you should check out this event. And so we tend to get at least five to 10 brand new people every time. And then the rest are usually repeat invest, repeat attendees. And so that is a great way to just offer value. And we don't always have to create the content. We can bring in guest speakers. We can have somebody, we can have a, a, a broker talk. We can have a mortgage person talk. We can have a tax professional talk, cost seg, things like that. And we can diversify it. But really to bring in new people, we want the topics to also relate to brand new investors. Yeah, for sure. Uh, give us some of your uh, top tips for the, the, making a, a successful meetup. I know you you talked about not having to always do the content yourself because I, I know uh, so many, right? Again, like we were talking about, even doing the wealth building classes, it's way outside of our comfort zone, right? Even doing a podcast is way outside of many people's comfort zone. And say, hey, you can learn to interview people, right? It doesn't always have to be you providing the content. Uh, what are some of the tips that you found? Hey, I wish I had known this before we started the meetup. Mm -hmm. I would think looking back, one of the most popular topics has been case studies. And, you, and typically this is a full cycle case study, but people just want to see a deep dive on an example. They want to see a specific property. What was it purchased for? What were the projects? What did the numbers look like? How did you find it? Really that womb to tomb story on a deal. And that's what we found to get the biggest turnout is when we sell, when even if a passive investment goes full cycle, you can use that as a case study if you can, if you put together all the pieces from the uh, deal sponsors. But honestly, I've, I think we should be doing more case studies because that's what people want to see. They want to see the big picture, the full story. What did, it, what did you buy for? What did you sell for? What were the gains? And what did you have to do to, to get those, to get the asset value higher? And how do you market the meetup? So we do blast on meetup.com. We market it to LinkedIn, actually, because on LinkedIn, we have a lot of colleagues back from our corporate world. And we, it, the, the message gets out that way, Facebook and Instagram. Or and is so that paid, our, like paid ads or? No, unpaid, just our personal pages and business pages. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. What would you say has, if you could pick one of these methods to really focus on gaining new, new investor clients and leads, what would you pick? Honestly, I think teaching the Keller Williams classes are the best source. And one of the reasons is because like being part of a large multifamily education program, we meet a lot of passive investors through the program. But the problem is, is in that environment, I am one of 50 deal sponsors that they're meeting. Well, when I talk to a room of real estate agents, they know they want to invest in real estate, but they don't have the time. Typically, I am the only deal sponsor that they know, that they've met. And by teaching the class, I get instant credibility. Even, and it's kind of, even from the very beginning, it was one of those fake it till you make it. Like, be confident in the, in the teaching and, and, the, and the presentation, and they are ready to invest with you. 
So I think that that has been my best lead source. And that is the one I'm, I'm continuing to do. I would say I would do, I do one class a month at a Keller Williams office at least. Good for you. Good for you. I, I know early on in the podcast and even I, I get questions now. It's like, well, Whitney or, or people say, well, Emily, I, they're going to ask me questions. I just, I don't know. Well, how do you handle that? I, I know people are thinking that listening right now. Yeah. And you could always use the phrase, I'd love to have a side conversation with you about that. Let's take that offline, especially with tax questions. I, I am not the expert on tax questions. And so that made, you can always defer to a CPA. If it was a legal question, you say, I, I, we need to please consult with an attorney about that. And, but yeah, I would say defer to a side conversation or let's, let's talk about that one-on-one -on -one afterwards. Or sometimes if they just give a, a, a question you don't want to answer. What happens after the connection's made? And because uh, that's, that's also, I think, where a lot of people struggle with their systems internally and follow up with investors. And uh, how, how have you found uh, to be successful at that? It's like you've made the connection. Well, what's next? Well, as of the beginning of 2023, I now have a virtual assistant that helps me with my follow-up. But at the end of the class, what I want them to do is to schedule a 30-minute phone call with me. So the main thing at the end of the class, I put up my Calendly QR code. And the reason is because with multifamily syndications, I need to create a pre-existing relationship with my investors. So me teaching a class to them, in my opinion, does not make does not create that pre-existing relationship. So it is a fairly time-intensive follow-up process because personally, I want to do a phone call with everybody who's going to get in my investor database. So if they don't schedule with me, we send them a follow-up email to remind them to, to schedule. But I would say at least 50 to 60% of the people pull up, the Calendly, pull up their Calendly and schedule a call right then and there. And so there, it's not too bad. It's more about chasing the people that then rescheduled or canceled or, but if you think I'm, I'm an engineer, so I monetize things and I've, we've gone back and monetized our passive investors and each new investor can bring me $12,000 of income. So if I'm in a room with 50 people and only 10 of them really follow through with the Eat with the phone call and they get in my investor database and we create that pre-existing relationship, for me, that is still a huge win. Like, I don't need 100% conversion. I, I could be very happy with five to 10 great investors that have 50, 75, 100,000 to invest. Because honestly, there are people in the audience that when I say the minimum, you know, can be 50, 75 or 100, their eyes get big. And you know that for them, like $5,000 is a lot of money. And that's not necessarily the person that I want to spend 30 minutes with on the phone. Yeah. It's great to be upfront about that. So maybe you save your time in theirs, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I, one thing I wanted to dive in on that you just said there is that, that each new investor can, is, is worth like 12,000 of income for, for you. I love that you know that, like you've thought that through. And because we've had to, we've tried to do some exercises like that, because, and I hear it so often from other operators, friends of mine, you say, well, man, how did you calculate, right, the value? 
of that investor. So really we know how much money we can put towards marketing or money we can put towards new investors and just providing better service for them really. But ensuring obviously we're still making a profit at the same time. Are you able to share a little bit about how you came to that that number? Yeah. And we we took a pinpoint in time and we said, how much have we made from multifamily investing, from our syndications? And at this point, we had had two full cycle deals. And so the when they go full cycle for a GP, they're they're you can make great money on it. And we just divided that number that it was probably at the probably at the four or five year mark that we did this exercise. And we had gone full cycle on two deals. So we took the amount of income that we made and we divided it by the number of investors that had invested with us so far. And so it could change, right? As, de- as more deals sell, as we acquire more deals, that number could be fluid. But at the time, it was $12,000. And that only counts the people that invested with us. So when I say, if a room of 50 people that I'm teaching to, if five of them invest with me in the future, that's that's the value that I assign to them. Yeah, love that. I uh, yeah, that's your engineer background, right? That love that you knew that, right, and that you thought it through to that degree. Uh, all right, so I want I, I just I wanted to ask you that because I, we've been asked that. I've just heard it done a number of different ways, but you do need to think through that, right, as you're spending and, and thinking about marketing and and whatnot. And but all right, so you you put the QR code up there. They're scheduling a call with you. And you're going to have that call, just like we said, any other tips on following up that have worked well for you, maybe even during, maybe even ways that you're handling the phone conversation as well, or on what happens after the phone call. In terms of the follow-up, we, we, we don't spam our, our inbox to our investor database too much. So we do, I would say a biannual newsletter. So every six months we have newsletters going out to our entire database, whether they've invested with us or not. and. Regarding like the the follow up and the structure for the call, one, I want to get to know them and what what investing experience they've had and what questions they have. So I really, I mean, they've heard me speak for an hour at this point. I want to get to know them more and understand what's important to them. And sometimes that direction will go in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it'll go in the, well, I, I heard you say you invested with self-directed retirement accounts. So let's, I want to learn more about that. And then we'll spend the next 30 minutes talking about retirement accounts. And so really it's, it's about meeting their needs because that call is, it's for me to learn about them and to help educate them even further. Yeah. Love that. It's your, when you can have that train of thought, right? That you're focused on them, helping them. What's, what's their need? I think the call goes a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, we're going to have to move on, unfortunately, Emily, but man, uh, it's just some great value. And I get these questions all the time about how we do these things, but I, I don't have uh, some of these things that you're doing uh, in, in our tool belt anyway. I, I think you're you're doing very well at that and, and taking advantage of that of that situation or an opportunity, right? You saw an opportunity and you were willing to ask, hey, can I go teach class? And being willing to step out there, I feel like where where most people are not uh, not willing to do that. What would you say is uh, your biggest? Uh, we'll move to a few final questions, but what would you say is your biggest challenge in your business right now? Right now, the biggest challenge is there are not very many listings out, and so we actually haven't we've offered on properties, but we haven't purchased a property in almost nine months. 
So my biggest challenge is my leads that are coming in. I don't know when my next multifamily deal will be because I can't, I don't have my crystal ball to say when the interest rates are going to go down or the listings are going to come out or the foreclosures are going to hit the market. So really that's, that's my biggest challenge is keeping the leads hot, warm, not letting them go cold because there are people that I met and I talked to six months ago and I haven't been able to provide them an investment opportunity in multifamily in, since I've met them. And so that's, I've, being honest, that is my biggest uh, challenge in my business. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You're not alone in that. I just say you're not alone uh, in, in finding lack of, of deals to be had at the moment or that makes sense. I, I don't want kind of a, in the same thought there. Any predictions for the next 6, 12, 18 months? I know nobody has a crystal ball like you're talking about, but still what I usually say is, but what we believe is going to happen still affects what we're doing today, right? Whether we're buying or mm -hmm. selling or that type of thing. Any predictions? And, and then how is that affecting what you all are doing today? I would, when we listen to our trusted sources, whether it's the, the mortgage brokers, the listing brokers, they keep telling us the inventory is coming. They keep telling, and, and unfortunately, it, it's, they keep saying it's foreclosure inventory, pre-foreclosure. People that have purchased with the wrong debt and the wrong terms and the property hasn't performed well enough. And so that's what we're being told. And I would love to buy a great property at, at a great price and help turn it around. But the lending really has to be there. And so we've, we have underwritten deals of, that are pre-foreclosure. And the lending that we can get, did, the numbers just didn't work. And so I, would, I think the inventory is going to come out. I'm just hoping the interest rates can come down a little bit so that it makes it a little bit uh, easier for us to to underwrite and continue buying because we are, we're ready. We're ready to buy more. What would you say right now is your best advice for passive investors? Passive investors, I would say the biggest advice I have is to invest with somebody with experience and track record because operations is going to be so important over the next few years, at least in the Texas markets. Insurance has gone up. Property taxes have gone up. Our expenses have gone up more than we expected, which means that our income and our, our operations has to be really, really strong and tight. And we have, like, if washer and dryer implementation was planned for 1st of 2024, it has to be ready by the 1st of 2024. Like, that income has to come in. And one of the biggest mistakes we've made personally is passively investing with a group that had no full cycle experience and it was our worst performer. They ended up actually moving out of the country and really the asset management like went, flopped completely. So in the next few years, I, again, I think operations is going to be really, really critical. So investing with an experienced group and there's a lot of experienced groups out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very wise. I hate that you had to learn that that way. I think as man, as any of us get into this business, we, we get excited about investing passively as we learn more, right? And we make some mistakes like that. I'm right there with you. But yeah, that's some great advice and knowing about the team and even some full cycle deals and 
And what would, what would you say are the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or professionally. Personally, I think the most important thing that has affected our whole wealth building journey is just tracking our monthly expense, our, our monthly P&L personally and our monthly balance sheet. And I say that because my, my husband and I, we've been together 12 years and we literally started in tracking our, our financials probably 11 and a half years ago. I, it, there must, we're both numbers people and we said, let's, let's track everything. But knowing our financials has allowed us to make the big decisions over the past 10 years, whether it was Emily's going to quit her job whether it was Adam's going to now quit his job and join me full time, whether it was, hey, we should completely switch gears from single family to multifamily. Like, how are we going to, what's, what are the numbers going to look like? How do we personally afford to do this? And having that tracking, I think just makes your wealth building journey so much easier because it, it will guide your wealth building journey. You'll be able to see where the money is and what can be invested especially when times are good and you're getting not like I feel like you're getting a deal a day opportunity to passively invest in your inbox like invest in my deal invest in my deal invest in my deal and you really have to go back to your financials and say okay how much can we put aside for passive investing like what is the smart number for us to say this year we're going to put aside whether it's 100,000 200,000 whatever that number is and having our personal financials has guided all of our de decisions over the last 10 plus years. But if you're not tracking it, you will not know. Exactly. Right? Yeah, love that uh, suggestion, uh, tracking that. Do you have a way that you've automated that at all for your personal bookkeeping? We use mint.com to aggregate all of our expenses. And then we still use a basic Excel spreadsheet to do our P&L and our balance sheet. Yeah. And, and I, have, I have templates if anybody wants uh, templates. I get, I teach a class on personal financial statements at Keller Williams. And so I can give anybody my Excel templates. They're very basic. That's awesome. No. And, and I've heard a number of people use Mint and uh, that's awesome. I, yeah, couldn't agree more as far as diving in on your personal finances and tracking where the money's going. Cause it's, it's amazing. You think until you start tracking it and then you really know, Emily, what would you say is the number one thing that's contributed to your success? We touched on it a little bit, but I think the number one thing that's contributed to our success has been forming the right partnerships over the years, because multi, especially in multifamily syndication, it is a team sport and coming in with zero experience, having the right partner broke down the barriers, or barriers of entry at the beginning. And that was the perfect partnership for us at the beginning. And then we, as we grew the next perfect partnership for us was leveraging so that we weren't both in the day-to-day -day asset management and I could go pursue building our investor database. And, and really, it, it was finding the right partnerships that with the right people that allowed us to do that and grow our portfolio. Yeah, very wise. E even the tip about yeah, the partnerships or the type of partnership may change throughout your, mm -hmm. your growth, right? And love that. Uh, what about, how do you like to give back? So my husband and I have gotten turned on to an organization called Chair the Love. And it's an organization that gives wheelchairs out 
in, I would say, third world countries or small villages throughout Latin America, South America, and they're doing their first distributions to Vietnam, Vietnam and the Philippines this year. And so, so far, we've only been able to attend one distribution a year. And we go to, for example, Ecuador, we go to a small village and they bring 250 wheelchairs. We assemble them on site and people drive in from hours from the mountains and everywhere just to pick up wheelchairs. And it is, it's been an amazing experience. And our goal is that as our, as our passive income increases, we want to go on um, two to three trips a year, maybe even more. And then once our daughter's probably six or seven, she'll come with us on these uh, international trips. Love that. Emily, thanks for sharing that. You've given back to us uh, today in so many ways uh, and, and just laying out tips or how or ways that you've been successful raising money and meeting investors and going in detail on numerous, numerous things. Even, even the tip on checking your personal income I, or profit and loss, I think it's so wise and not done often enough. But so very grateful for your time and for the conversation. How can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? Our website is AE for Adam and Emily, AEinvest.net. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.